James 1, verse 16. Do not be deceived. Thank you. My beloved brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Okay, brothers and sisters, this weekend, for us, this is the beginning. And I just want to encourage you that you have the opportunity. What we're celebrating in a small way is, by God's grace, And everything that Peter just led us through in in song, we are part of the first fruits of what Christ has accomplished. And so because of that, we have an opportunity. Retreat, as I say, it's always that special time. It's It's a magic moment. It's not reality, but it's our time to have time alone with the Lord and alone with one another. But for what purpose and what end? So that we can put off the things of the world because we are His children, right? The filthiness of the world, that we would be slow to speak, quick to hear, and that we would receive, really, you know, the theme this weekend is, is jewels from James, that we can receive the treasures that Christ has for us, His love, His goodness, His grace, that He gives us in abundance, and He's going to give it to us in abundance this weekend through the epistle to James and through His servants, the Andersons. So let's set our hearts to that. Let's have fun. Let's have a great weekend. Let's do everything to the max this weekend, but let's be mindful that the greatest treasure that Christ wants to give us this weekend, is himself. Okay? Uh, Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we just thank you for what you've done. You gave your life, Lord Jesus, so that we might know you, and so that we might have a new life, so that we might participate in the first fruits of the gospel. And so, Lord, as we come to you this evening, as we get ready for the coming weekend, Lord, would you prepare our hearts? Would you do what we cannot do in and of ourselves? Would you put off, Lord, in our hearts the things of the world, the things, the distractions, the pressures, the worries, the anxieties, the burdens, all of those things that, Lord, press us in different ways and uh, compete, Lord Jesus, for your glory in our hearts and our lives. And we pray, at least for this weekend, Lord, that we just have that opportunity of rest, Lord, of just being able to put these things off so that our hearts might be filled up, Lord Jesus, with you, the goodness of your word, the words that you have prepared for us through the epistle to James and and through our time together with the Andersons this weekend. We pray for Ricardo, Vanna, and Vivi at this time too, um, as they are with us in spirit, but away from us. We just pray for their ministry and that you just bless their church and this coming Sunday as they minister again to uh, people in Pereira who have never really been in a church, many of them. And we just ask, Lord, this weekend together uh, in Colombia and here, we would just celebrate your goodness and grace through your word. We just thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask the Andersons to come. You get these fabulous seats here. Um, awesome.
Um, First of all, welcome. It's sweet for us to actually have a chance to hang out with you. Um, We've heard a lot about you, so we get to see you in the flesh. And uh, basically, just to warm up and just get started, we wanted to have an evening where we got a big picture of what to expect for the coming weekend. And we also want to get all sorts of details about your past ministry as well, because the Lord has allowed you to lead exciting lives. But maybe, Rodney, you could get us started a little bit just to give us um, an idea of what to expect this coming weekend through James. Yeah, absolutely. Am I turned on? You are. Does that sound? Let me try. Oh. All right. Yeah, I'm super excited to uh, speak to you all from James for this week. Uh, James is such a rich book. Uh, I'm assuming you've all spent some time in it. James is a unique book. Um, written, of course, by James, not by Paul, in a very different style than Paul, uh, where Paul focuses so much on doctrine, which is critical. And in fact, we need to increase in knowledge. And so Paul talks a lot about that in the prayer, even in Colossians 1, he talks about that. You know, I pray that you would increase in your knowledge of the will of God and in your wisdom and understanding. James, instead of talking to them about knowledge, he says, okay, How are you living out that knowledge? And we don't see a lot of new doctrine presented in James. There is theology in it, to be sure. But I love James in that he says, look, what are you doing with that? Are you living out that doctrine? And how does your life show it? And I think we're going to see that, especially in in these three sections. So it's somewhat interesting. I'm going from somewhat in the middle of the book. I'm starting in James 3, 13 through 4, 10. Um, and it seems like an unusual place to start and really passages that aren't preached nearly as much as James 1. You know, talking about trials and consider them all joy when you face trials, which is fantastic, of course. But this section isn't talked about as much, but it's very meaningful to me in just what God has done through this section in my own life. One of the, the threads, the themes that we'll see through these passages is his emphasis on humility. And there's just humility is necessary in wisdom. Humility is necessary in, in conflict. Humility is necessary in repentance. And that is just something I have seen in uh, needing to grow in my own life, frankly, but that I have seen in other men in ministry and pursuing the mission field that is it's just such a crucial aspect. And frankly, if I can even turn it this way, something I've seen in Ricardo. So I got an email from Ricardo today, in fact, uh, saying he was praying for me and encouraged. But uh, that is one thing that I continue to encourage Ricardo on is I'm so thankful for humility, you know, and how he responds to things. So, so that is something that is seen in this passage a lot. And so I'm excited to walk through these verses because I think they're just absolutely essential to a Christian life. You know, as we we talk about humility, it's interesting. James starts off right at the beginning saying, James, a bondservant in in the ESV, but the slave Mm -hmm. of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which is interesting because I was sharing with my boys. I mean, he's the half-brother. The half-brother of Jesus. Jesus. That's what I would have said. Right? James, the half-brother. You know, give me a little cred here. I'm, in, right? <laughs> yeah, the older brother. I'm close to the man. We have the, same the brother, oldest, right? the next one. Yeah, and so yeah. Out of the gate, he comes out and says, hey, I'm, I'm the slave. Yes, right. And, you know, and then you just, as you go through, it's, it's interesting because it might not be explicit, yeah. but implicitly, 
really he's calling us to be like Christ. Yes. You know, that, that humility is there. Right. And uh, you sort of began to answer this, but this is a question for both of you. And I, I wanted to find out how the book of James sort of connected with both of you in, in ministry and also in family life. Yeah, and I think, um, well, I'll talk a little about ministry. You talk about family life because I know it's been, yeah, important to our family. But certainly um, in ministry, like like you said, I mentioned it's, it's just an essential part to have that humility. Um, wisdom, and that's the first section we'll look at in chapter 3, is, is the humility of wisdom. And, you know, we all want to increase in knowledge and be knowledgeable about God's Word, and we should be, and that's a good thing. But if it's not done in wisdom, um, then it's not going to amount to much in ministry. And you may think if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're going to be the most effective ministry-wise. But that's not the case. Certainly, you need to know God's Word and deliver it, but if you're not humbly delivering that, then you're not going to be an effective tool in God's hands. And so I've been reminded of that time and time again, and God's humbled me in so many ways, and that's um, not a boast. <laughs> it's due to my own pride that he's had to humble me in so many ways. And I, I can remember even when I um, needed to preach before the elders once of ordination, and just walking away from that thinking, uh, Lord, that was awful. <laughs> I just bombed that. And... God just used that to humble me and realize, look, um, it's not about thinking that everyone thinks I'm a great preacher or do a great job. It's God, what do you think? And if if you're glorified in my weakness, that's what I want. Um, and certainly in China, learning Mandarin, boy, was that humbling. Um, Chinese, is, it turns out, it's pretty difficult. I thought, I'm going to go to a country, they don't have an alphabet, it'll be easy. But... Uh, <laughs> It was tough. And there's a line between humility and humiliation, I found. I've I danced on the other side of that. Humility is like you make a mistake, say something stupid. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm not perfect. Humiliation is, I just made a mistake, and I feel horrible, and I want to hide and crawl under a rock. And uh, I did both, uh, unfortunately. Humility sweet. <laughs> Humiliation's painful. It is painful. Yeah. Very painful. So but it's certainly been something that uh, I've seen uh, as a necessity, but then also an area that God's been continuing working on me in as well. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned about our family, too. I mean, I think that second passage... The expectations? Chapter 4. Yeah. Yeah, in chapter 4, James tells us, he asked the question, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? So if you have children in your home, you know that there are a lot of quarrels and conflicts (laughs) that happen. And so this passage is just so directly applicable to your home life, whether it's quarrels and conflicts in your marriage or with your siblings or with your children or... Housemates, whatever case you're in, it's so helpful to know the source. And James tells us very clearly that it's our own desires that wage war in our souls. Uh, we want something and we can't have it. And so we fight and we quarrel with each other. It boils down to that. It's pretty simple. And so the solution then is in our own hearts, dealing with our own sin first, our own pride, um, the things that we want. 
oftentimes very good things become lusts, and we're willing to sin against God. Right, you're, you're, you're stealing all my thunder from uh, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to hear it several times. Our pastor, when we first got married, um, preached through this passage, and it just hit us right between the eyes, and we really strove, striven, striven. Striven. Striving? <laughs> Strove. And to teach it to our children. Um, so I know that you'll be blessed from just hearing that and considering how to counsel yourself when you're when there's an obstacle in your life and something that you want doesn't happen, even if it's a good thing. There's that normal human disappointment that we feel that we're all gonna feel. Christians are just as easily disappointed when something you wanted to happen doesn't happen. But what do you do next? Do you camp there? Do you get angry? Do you are you willing to sin to get what you want, or are you going to humble yourself under God's hand and realize that this is what He has for you? It's not what you wanted, but it's what He has for you. So, um, yeah, I know you're going to be encouraged hearing that, and just really be thoughtful about how to apply that to your relationships in your homes. Oh, it's super, super helpful because even though it's intensified, let's say, in ministry and missions, those are the realities. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if you become a Christian and suddenly conflicts go away, right? right. It's not yeah. all of a sudden you become a superstar and everything is, you know, sweet and, and beautiful and easy in your home life and your kids are just perfect. Yeah. Just because. If only it were so. If only it were so. And. And when we think about missions, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, really, in many ways, your testimony, but it's true of many folks who get called into missions, the obstacles intensify, right? You just, there's no way around meeting those obstacles, meeting those things that come in in an unexpected way, whether it's in family, ministry, or wherever else. And so you touched on a little bit when we spoke Tuesday night, but how did both of you get the missions bug? How did the Lord do that, and uh, was there any fear and trepidation, too, when you started to see the Lord was moving you in a path with much humiliation? Yeah. You want me to start again? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I was very happy being an engineer. That's what I, in my previous career, went to UCLA, uh, graduate engineering, and, and I was loving it. I worked for the city of Burbank. And it was going well, um, and I could see myself there until retirement. Um, so that was the plan, and then it, it, God just worked through it. I mean, you start to pray for missionaries and hear what's going on overseas. The needs are so great. The needs are so tremendous overseas, and so talking with them, praying with them, we started serving at these missionary conferences. And they would just share with us that they're, you know, they're needing to do, you know, teach everything. There is, you know, at Grace Church, um, where I grew up and was a part of, it's, it's like a, an orchestra of pastors. And I'm like fourth seat clarinet, you know. Uh, there's... There's three people better than me at any one thing, and then you know, ten, well, I don't know, a hundred people better than me. So, but the reality is, you go to these places overseas, and the needs 
Um, just people not understanding, okay, parenting, what should that look like? People who were never ra- they weren't raised by Christian parents, so they're wondering about parenting. They're wondering about how to study the Bible. They're wondering about uh, their marriage relationships, and there's just one thing after another. So getting to know our missionaries and praying for them is something that uh, opened our eyes to the needs and realizing, as in, ta- in talking to our missionaries, that they would say, look, we're just normal people who want to be used by God. They weren't, I always thought of them as superheroes in a sense. Um, that they must be, you know, just the most incredible people ever. And, and they are incredible in that they're faithful and serve God. But they are just normal people who've given their lives to God. And so that, understanding that, and then God used his word both through the book of Acts, through Pastor MacArthur's preaching. And so God just worked in my heart in that way. And I know Glenna the same way in praying and caring for our missionaries. Um, But it was a scary thing to think, okay, I know what life looks like here. I know um, I have a steady job. I have guaranteed retirement through the public employees retirement system. And everything is pretty well set. And this kind of just sets all that aside and goes into the unknown. But... um, there is just the fact that, look, God, you're going to take care of me. Do I trust you or do I not? Do I not? And if I really say I'm going to deny myself, that means leaving all this certainty that I have and moving forward. And, and God's always faithful in that. Um, you can trust him um, for doing the hard things. And, so, and, and he has proven faithful. So very thankful for that. But, you know, when we finally talked about it, Glenda was, God had been working on her heart as well. So that was exciting, for sure. Because I counsel guys that are looking at the mission field. I say, look, if your wife doesn't want to go, you guys aren't going. You know, this needs to be a team effort. And if God's going to work on your family getting you, it's not just going to be on the husband, but the wife as well. Now, that doesn't mean that the wife has been wanting to go to missions her whole life. But that she's saying, look, I'm, God's given me to trust my husband and to submit and follow. And wherever God leads us, I'm willing to go. And uh, very thankful that, yeah, God worked and going his heart as well. So is there anyone? Yeah, I'm, I want to go faster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to have faith to just rest and wait and patience. It is. Stretching, I think we, we first got there, you know, it was super exciting and so much to learn. And when you first moved to a new place, you learned a lot really fast. So mm-hmm. after three months there, we were just amazed at how much we could do compared to when we had first landed. But then you inevitably just hit a hit sort of a plateau where, oh, it's really hard to get to the next step and learn the things that are beyond that. So that took a lot of faith yeah. and patience. Like Rodney said, God is always faithful. He's, we can have faith because our faith is in the eternal God who never changes and promises to be with us wherever we go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be bold here, okay? Can you tell us how old you were when you made the decision first that you would go to seminary? And then how old were you when you actually got to the mission field? Just so we have yeah. sort of a context of like you said, Rodney, to some degree in the church we've grown up with missionaries being sort of the Navy SEALs, right? You hear the legends, 
you know, you see the big names, you know, and you hear as it gets bandied around, you know, the, the, the Paul Washer experience, so to speak. Yeah. And those have their place, you know, but as you're saying, that's not the whole story. Right. And so, and sometimes the Lord works over time to get people to where he wants them to be. So can you give us an idea yeah. of, of the timeline a little bit? Yeah, I, I'm happy to do that, um, especially because I know I'm younger than you, Mark. You know, so everybody here is. Everybody here is. <laughs> no, it was later in life because I had my my career going, and so I want to say, um, well, I know we arrived in China at 40 years old uh, when I was 40. So backing up, I must have started seminary somewhere around 35, and I think our Really, desire for missions was a year before that, or maybe two years before that. So maybe 33, 34, somewhere in there, uh, if so I'm remembering right. it was at least seven right. years from the time of, hey, let's do this, right? with an awful lot in between mm-hmm. that happened before actually getting... Yeah. yeah. 2005 was our first conversation with our pastor... Oh, wow, I remember that. <laughs> She's not as old as I am. <laughs> Who was your pastor? It was Carrie Hardy. Carrie Hardy. So, yeah. Yeah, he did a little Zoom session with us. Oh, great. With, with George Lawson last, last year. And yeah. Okay. He's a good man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so he, he's the first one that we sought counsel from just to find out, are we crazy? Can we do this? And mm-hmm. he, we... Went to him, he was our fellowship group pastor, but he also had a, he was a pharmacist before he went to seminary. He had a good career, owned his own pharmacy, I think. Yeah. Left that to pursue seminary, so, and at a later age, too, like us, so mm-hmm. he was a good person to talk to. Yeah. So yeah, that was 2005, and then we left for China in 2012. So. Yeah, 2012. So yeah, we, um, God through seminary he always humbles guys and uh, takes them through different things and when we started we told both our sets of parents that we were planning on going to the mission field go to seminary and they were very excited for us which was great but in the process of seminary uh, my wife's mom passed away and then a year after that my father passed away in 2010 and uh, and then we found out in 2011 I had to have open heart surgery before we went so you know, God puts different things to really slow you down and realize you have to trust Him. How did those things prepare you? You know, from the perspective of you're getting ready to go, it can seem, oh my goodness, loss of a parent, you know, all of these huge things. You know, there can be big discouragement sometimes and, and, and doubts, let's say, at that time. Um, one, how did you get through those times and seasons? Um, and two, how did those things actually help prepare you for the ministry that God had in store for you? Yeah, I think one thing that we found, uh, I remember with your mom passing away, uh, there was a point, it was just really difficult her last uh, months and weeks, especially last week or two, and we got to the point where we said, Lord, we don't know if we could take this anymore. It's, it's just very challenging and caring for her. We were living in the in their house uh, the last number of days. And um, and at that point, it's just like, okay, Lord, it's got to be your strength. And learning at that point, okay, we do not have the gas in the tank to do this. I have to trust in you for that, Lord. So 
that was a good lesson through that, I think, and knowing that, okay, God, um, you got to be our, our rock and our strength in this. Uh, with my dad passing away, I think the thing that hit me through that, just the brevity of life and just remembering... Um, my dad loved the Lord, and I know he's in heaven. Uh, and, and I'm so thankful for him and his example. Um, but there is a point where it's when your father passed away, there's all the tools in the garage are still there. All the, all the stuff is still there. And that, then I had to work with my mom in clearing all that out. And that was just a vivid illustration for me of the things of this world don't matter. Um, and it's not that my dad loved those things more than he loved the Lord. And that's certainly not the case. And yet at the same time, it's, I know easy for me to, to, Place things is more important than they should be. And as we were about to leave all of our stuff, give it away, not bring it with us, we didn't send a container, just some suitcases and move. Just said, okay, I know this isn't going to last for eternity anyway. Um, so it, it was a lesson we learned, I think, through that that made it easier to leave stuff behind in going to China. Um, so God teaches us in different ways through those things. Um, so a couple things, I don't know if you have to add to that. Um. When you got to, you know, and, and there are some folks who are going to test drive your Chinese. I just want to put, put that out there. Right the, the, because, <laughs> because sadly, you know, anyways, it's the remarkable thing to see two white folks to be able to speak Chinese. So it's like seeing a donkey talk. So, so well, we don't. I'm trying to protect you up front. Woman of Jungwan Butahao, so sure the. Okay, they're done. They're retired for the rest of the weekend. Okay, it's been done. Leave them alone for the rest of the weekend. Only, only, only from the word. Anyways. Yeah, You all are going to have to translate. I don't know all that. Can you tell us once you were in China, um, just how the Lord worked, maybe some of the memorable experiences, both sweet but also challenging. First of all, I'll just tell you a funny story. We, yeah. You know, you have this mindset when you're going to move somewhere really different, you're going to trust the Lord, you're just going to be courageous. And so we did just did some really stupid things when we first got there. <laughs> we were just thinking, this is what missionaries do, we just trust the Lord and sort of shut off the part of our brain that would normally be just like cautious about certain things. So our son was 14 when we moved and we uh, pretty quickly found an apartment to rent. I think maybe 10 days or so we were living with some friends and then moved into our own apartment. I think it was only a couple of weeks after that my son had quickly made some friends with some other expats. And he was going to, he had gone to someone's house to visit, and he took the bus there and made his way back um, with his friend. And so the next time he wanted to go by himself, and we said, okay, you can do that, you know the way. And so he went and had a good time with his friends, his friend's family. And then he was waiting at the bus stop with his friend's dad, and he said, hey, why don't you 
this would be a better route. You can take this other bus and get there. So he said, okay. And he called us to let us know he was coming home a different way. And he said, well, okay, just be careful to really listen for your stop because it's really hard to hear in the bus. And, uh, you know, he didn't know Chinese. <laughs> so, so, sure enough, he misses his stop. And he had told us on the phone, like, oh, my battery is really low. <laughs> so, um, by this time, it's about 9.30 p.m., cold, rainy night. And um, he called us to say, I missed my stop. And I'm getting off the bus. And I hardly have any battery. So, yeah. yeah. And I don't know where I am. There's no anywhere. Well, Beijing's small, no problem. It's, you know. So the bus driver, he asked the bus driver for the name of the stop, and he said, oh, it's back there. So this other couple was also getting off the bus, and they heard our son ask about the stop, and so they could see that, obviously, he's not Chinese. <laughs> they stayed with him, and um, were just so kind, and, and our son was smart. He didn't use the remaining battery to call us anymore. He called our friend, who speaks Chinese, put him on the phone with this couple that he had met, and uh, they were so concerned because um, it was late, and the buses were stopping, weren't running anymore, and so he asked to take a taxi, but the taxi was so expensive, and our friend told him, his parents both like, okay. pay for this. Yeah, like $5 or something, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I, so we're sitting in our apartment. It's, by this time, it's like 11 p.m., and we're just like, all right, Lord, we just prayed and prayed, yeah. and, didn't know, you know, yeah. and so things like that, we just learned the hard way. Like, okay, let's get our address written down on some cards to put in our wallets so that yeah. we know how to ask for help when we need it. Or we were biking to church in the snow and the ice. Like, what are we doing? Our friend was doing the same thing, and he broke his ankle really badly and had to get pins and like, you know, let's take a taxi when it's So we had to learn some things. We just had this. Yeah, we're missionaries. We could do anything. Yeah, yeah, stupid. So yeah, sending your 14-year-old all the way across Beijing. Uh, in the middle of the night, probably not a good idea. No, no, we learned. Before long, we, our kids were able to completely get around by themselves. It was very safe, and the public transit there yeah. was just so good and inexpensive, and they loved it. The independence. I never had that phase as a mom where I had to drive my kids everywhere because from 12 to 18, our daughter was there and able to get herself around. Yeah, so you're, yeah, so some of the hard things were because of our own stupidity a lot of ways. Um, some of it, yeah, learning, speaking Chinese is tough, and I'd go to the phone company. That was always the hardest for me because they're talking about phone plans and saying it really quickly, and I'm not understanding. And then they turn to each other and start laughing, and it's like... They, they laughed when they saw us coming every time. Yes. <laughs> every time. So it was humbling, humiliating, uh, both, uh, often. Uh, so there were those times for sure, but there were times that were sweet too. This um, one guy, this one pastor was discipling. Um, just his response to the word. His wife had graduated seminary in China. And um, just talking with him, look, what does scripture say about a wife being a pastor? And let's look at the scripture together. And 
he went from very much open to having his wife preach and lead to really understanding, you know what? That is not what Scripture says here. And so to see his change, to see God work in him was very exciting. And he he was full of passion, a uh, very passionate guy, which was fantastic. It just needed uh, to get a little discernment and wisdom to go along with that. And uh, it was great to watch him grow in that way. He uh, was going to preach through the book of Ezra, uh, and he says, how do I do it? Well, no, I preach through Ezra. I don't know what to do. And I was able to walk through and say, okay, what's the main theme? What is God trying to communicate here? What do we see about God in this passage and the sovereignty of God? And I remember him saying, well, there's no application to sovereignty of God. I'm thinking, well, actually there is. <laughs> let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So it was really fun to work through him and see him grow. And I, I couldn't preach in our house church setting because of my white skin. But um, but that's great. He could, you know, once he kind of understood the passage, he could preach, obviously using Chinese, so much better than I could. And so it was exciting to hear him preach God's word um, in such a powerful way. So that, that was thrilling. Can you give us an idea uh, a little bit, you, you've started already, what some of the challenges and needs for the, the church and the missionaries um, in the area that you ministered? Now, we, we do have some folks here who have had family members who have participated in the church in China as well, or who have family members who are there. But in the area that you ministered, you know, what were some of the needs and some of the challenges, both for the missionaries and for the, the local believers there? Yeah, and we were, when we arrived in 2012, it was the first year of Xi Jinping, and it was still very open. Uh, you know, churches could meet fairly publicly. In fact, our church, it was close to 200, and I mean, the address was on a website. It wasn't uh, hard to find. Um, Certainly there were, you know, there's challenges in the Chinese church, a lack of training, a lack of teaching, a lack of biblical resources is a big thing. Um, but now it's become even more difficult. That lack of resources, lack of training is still there, but now they cannot meet in big groups like that. The church we were at is now split up into a number of smaller churches, um, almost just home Bible studies basically, and that's been true in a lot of places. So it's... Um, you know, God, Christ said, I will build my church. So we don't have to fear that, that the Chinese government can squash the Christian church uh, because Christ is bigger than Chinese government. But it is a challenge. And to those uh, families, those Christians to remain faithful, and especially the, the pastors of the church. And when you don't meet regularly and how the pastor is supported, how does he continue? And there's always the threat that he could get thrown in jail. Um, so it's particularly, be praying for the pastors and elders of the churches uh, because they are known by the Chinese government. You can try to be undercover to some extent, but they know what's going on. Um, so so be praying for them, the safety, and, and just God would purify his church at this time. Um, I think that is happening. Anyone who's joined the church thinking this is just a, uh, a way to have better happiness in this life, uh, well, they're not coming around as much. Uh, but the faithful, they're still there. And so it's. This has been a refining season, clearly, during that time. Um, what are. 
some of the big barriers for the gospel there. Obviously, one of them is you're going to run into some political problems and you're going to have some challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the folks that you interacted with, what was that like for you? How did you bridge that gap? And what were some of the challenges in sharing the gospel? Thankfully, people were more open, actually, to speaking, talking about the gospel than even unbelievers here in the States. Uh, like our tutor, I was able to share the gospel a lot with him. He was um, an atheist and did not believe, but very open for to me talking about it. But one of the biggest challenges is when your whole family has rejected, does not believe uh, in in God. And he knows if I follow this path, I am I am not only walking in a different way from my family, but I am saying my family is going to hell because they don't believe in God. If I say you have to follow Christ and truly become saved, then I'm assigning my family to hell. And in a sense, he does not changing the eternity of his family, whether he believes or not, but that's part of the thought process is, is breaking with that that culture and dishonoring your family by by now believing something different. And so that's a hard thing uh, for people to face. I mean, it's a high cost, right? Yeah. It's something that we're able to sort of, it looks like we can get away with in America. We can't, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, they have to pay a, a pretty big, steep cost up front if they're going to come out and join the church. Right. Yeah, and a lot of Chinese young people, collegians, come to faith in Christ, either through studying abroad and then going back to China, or even yeah. China. Uh, Campus Crusade had a pretty big impact there. There was a lot of campus ministry going on for a lot of years, not so much anymore. But um, but those young people, when they would then go home for to India, or, uh, we would hear from our, our church had a, was in a college area, mm-hmm. university area of Beijing, and there were a lot of college students. And we would hear after after to India, a lot of them were so despairing. They were contemplating suicide. With parents just the entire time they're home, just belittling them and um, encouraging them to leave the church and get a job that makes more money and get married to this rich. They try and introduce them to all of these rich people that were, you know, had a more prosperous life than the people they knew at church and um, just really would wear them down. Um, we were convicted when we were there of how much prayer they needed when they went to their hometowns for that fun holiday. It really wasn't very much fun yeah. for most of the believers. It was just a lot of pressure to drink. and um, They were mocked by parents, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the other problem that we saw, a, a barrier in our own church, was people that had come to faith in Christ, genuine believers, but they had a hard time leading their children to Christ through the culture, um, the pressure on children with education and everything was so, so great that we had very few families who would bring their kids to church with them past the, past little, little kids. Once they got into um, later elementary years, they sign them up for every possible class they could take all weekend. And um, so our church didn't have any, not one, maybe one teenager um, with his parents. And we knew there were a lot of teenagers in those families, but um, church just wasn't an option for them. They were too busy and so I think even a lot of Christian families um, were not leaving their homes in such a way that the kids were going to have much chance of staying um, in, in the faith, being raised in, in the church. Uh, they were pursuing 
whatever Chinese families kids are pursuing. So that was another, yeah. another obstacle. Yeah. How did you shepherd the singles? And I say this because this is something that Julie, my wife, she did several years of going to the Czech Republic um, with um, missionaries there. And she had mentioned to me several times that um, for single women, if they were going to get saved and come into the church, it was kind of like, a, you know, a, a suicide, you know, decision from the world's point of view. As far as marriage, family, all of those things, they, they basically yeah. had to check that at, at the door. And I've heard the same thing in Italy and in different places um, that for young collegians to come in with the huge pressure in the family, like you're saying, to marry so on and so forth, but really to say, you know, so how did you shepherd or how did you encourage, how did you guys a- address that when that came your way? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, uh, there was no magic bullet for sure. I mean, it's uh, the realization that's part of the cost of coming to Christ, um, where previously your marriage options were wide open. Now, if Christ is the most important thing to you, you're going to marry someone who also believes that. And to trust God for that, for those results. Um, and it's going to be tough. I mean, it's with uh, one couple we did marriage counseling with, um, you know, her parents just forbid her from marrying this guy because he was a Christian, said, you cannot marry a Christian. And she's a believer, and her parents are forbidding it and trying to navigate, okay, when do I need to honor my parents and, and wait until God changes their heart uh, before I marry? And so we had a lot of talks about that, and eventually... Just talking through, it's like, look, her name is Kate. Kate, your parents uh, are forbidding you to do something that Scripture requires as far as seeking someone that loves the Lord. And at that point, you express love to them, and you honor them in every way you can, but you need to be faithful and marry a Christian man. And this man, Victor, is is a believer. And so... um, it is something you you do your best to demonstrate love to your parents, but you know you need to face whatever's going to happen uh, when your parents are upset about that. So it was it was a tough thing to work through for sure. Um, and in you know in her case, I don't think her parents ever really came around either. Um, so there's not always a happy ending. Oh, you know, parents came around. Well, that, that's not what happened. Well, I mean, we need to hear the same thing, except in America, I think. We live under the illusion, mm-hmm. you know, through all the different media or whatever, that there is some better option or there is a happy ending mm-hmm. or this person got the happy ending, this person got the happy ending. But the truth is we end up in the same place, right? What Where we started, yeah. you've got to, if anybody's going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Christ. There is no silver right. bullet. and. Mm-hmm. The victory is the Lord's, and the sweetness is our fellowship with Him, and th- there's no guarantee. Right. And that that's not terribly popular stateside. No, no, it's it's not anywhere. And yet, we do know eventually, you know, our reward is in heaven. Yeah. You know, and so we may never see that um, things work out the way we want it on this earth, 
But, uh, but God knows, and justice will be done in God's timetable in eternity, and trusting him for that. Yeah, and we walk with Abraham and like all the heroes of the faith in, in Hebrews who right. did not see the fulfillment of the promise and yet were faithful right. and walked through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. How would you... I'm going to try and land the plane here because I know some of the parents have to skedaddle a little bit and get get their rugrats down and and uh, we also want to save some of your juice for the rest of the weekend but how would for us as a church you know maybe you can give us some advice about how we can start thinking about missions um, that was something that you and I first talked about you know when we went through the process with with Ricardo yeah. and and just saying um, and and Glenna too, how we can think about it with regards to our families, you know, um, how should we be starting to pray about missions? How should we as a church think about missions, but also as individuals and families? How should we start? And and what stereotypes do we need to put aside? And and uh, you know, how can we participate in really the Great Commission? Right? Yeah. Yeah, I'll start a little bit, but yeah, I um, speak often on the Great Commission and the need for missions. That's a lot of what I do in my role at Grace Church. And Great Commission, um, it is so important, and we see it's the culmination of Christ's ministry. Before he leaves the earth, it's the last thing he leaves the disciples with is this mission. This is what they are to do on this earth, is to reach all nations discipling people, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And we see that as the culmination of everything in the book of Acts. It points forward to all that is happening in the book of Acts. And as we understand the importance of the Great Commission, we need to realize that was it's not just for some Christians. And that's what some people think is the Great Commission is for those who go. And certainly it includes those who go. There must be people who go to other countries to share the gospel. If we don't have anyone going, we don't have any missions happening. But every person must obey the Great Commission. Uh, I like, I believe, oh, make sure I say that, I believe it was Hudson Taylor said the Great Commission is not an option to be chosen, it's a command to be obeyed. And every one of us must obey. It's It's not an option, it's not a choice. And so there are those who go, but if you're not going, you need to be one who's supporting those who are going. Not everyone can go. Not everyone should go. But there must be some who go, and there must be those who support. And support means a lot of things. Part of it's financially. Uh, We have missionaries who are right now fully approved, trained, vetted, ready to go, and they just don't have the support to go. They just need financially the ability to go. One family going to Armenia has made short-term trips there. He speaks Armenian. I was already having a great ministry. He speaks Arabic as well. He's ready to go, but just doesn't have the support. And so we have missionaries who need support. They all need support to some extent. Um, So that is part of it. Um, But the other part is they need encouragement. They need those letters, those emails, uh, and they need prayer is huge because we think prayer is a small thing like, oh, well, all we can do is pray. All I can do is pray. Prayer is not a small part of missions. I uh, like what one missionary to the Middle East, 
he said the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. And he saw that as much as he could do and share the gospel, hearts are not changed unless God changes the hearts, and he does that through answered prayer. And so prayer is not a small part of missions. It's, it's an essential element to missions. So prayer, encouragement, financial support, you know, all these are needed. And certainly we need those who go. We need those who are willing to go. And so, you know, every, everyone in here, every, every, every believer needs to be part of the Great Commission and ready to go. So, I mean, certainly, yeah, the encouragement part. I know Glenna was serving our missionaries a lot even before we went. Yeah. Yeah. So we, our church has two homes that are right next door to the church property that they purchased years ago, and missionaries can stay there when they come home on furlough if they reserve them. And so I had a team of college students, and we would go in and clean the houses before the new missionaries would come in and make sure they had groceries for when they landed and stuff. That was a really fun ministry. I did that for about nine years, I think. It was a long time. But, um, yeah, just a couple of practical things. I would say, you know, if you get Ricardo and Bob's newsletter or other missionary newsletters that you get, missionaries really love it when you actually reply to that letter and tell them yeah. that you're praying for them and comment on something that stood out to you from the letter. Just say, hey, wow, that's a really cool opportunity. I'm praying for you right now. It doesn't have to be long. You don't need to ask them a bunch of questions so they don't feel like they have to write you back or anything. But, um I started doing that as a habit when we came back from China, just when I would, especially the missionaries that I know personally a little bit better, just hit reply really quick and let them know that you read their mm-hmm. letter and that you were, it takes a lot of work with those letters together, and so it's encouraging just to hear back from a few people that are actually praying for you and loving you. And, um, so that's one thing. I would say with, with your children, reading missionary biographies mm-hmm. is a great thing to do just to give them a vision for what God has done in the past through missions. Um, obviously, you know a lot of the big names, but, um, you know, the Hudson Taylor biographies, Gladys Albert is a really great one, another Chinese one. Mm. Um, Adoniram Judson, John Payton. Yeah. Really amazing, exciting stories that kids, they, there's that whole series of oh, yeah. their brown covers, they now have them for just about every age. So yeah. there's a whole mm-hmm. bunch that are for elementary school and then now for junior high as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The homeschool curriculum, Sunlight, S-O-N-Light, you can go on their website too. They have a ton of really good picture books about missions and um, like an alphabet book of how to pray for a different people group from A to Z all around the world. And it gives lots of really cool um, maps and information about their culture and things like that and how to pray for mm-hmm. them, what their demographic is like and everything. So lots yeah. of great resources mm-hmm. out there to go through with kids and just give them a vision of what God's doing in the world. And you don't know, you might have a little Hudson Taylor in your house that just needs that encouragement mm-hmm. and needs to see those examples and be inspired to use their lives that way. Glenna, how can we be praying for the wives and the children? And what are the sort of some of the special ways we need to step up or, or think about that? Yeah, I just think remembering that even if the wives are not in the forefront of what's happening in the ministry, they are so vital to what their husbands are doing. If the wives are not mm-hmm. strong in their faith and 
happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> their, their husbands are not going to be as successful in, in the work that they're doing. So yeah, always pray for the wives, reach out to them, encourage them. Um, I think that's something as Rodney um, has been serving now with GMI for a few years. When we came back, we uh, were hearing from a lot of the wives that they just felt neglected. There's so much for the husbands. They're always traveling to this conference or that conference and having these Zoom meetings and everything's going on and the wives and the kids are just sort of struggling to get by and do their things. And so um, we've really been trying to ramp up our efforts in that way to minister to the wives. So one thing that we've done is start a um, ministry called Titus 2 International where we've connected groups of missionaries to each other. So like Bonin's in a group where um, every month or every other month, the uh, ladies in her group will meet over Zoom with a facilitator who's at our church uh, to just talk and pray and um, encourage one another. Some of them study through a book, some groups, other groups just um, meet together to pray. And so that's something I know a missionary, if you know a missionary wife personally that you think would be encouraged by that, just setting up a call and talk to her every once in a while. They don't, you know, when they're in country, it's hard for them to find someone to just talk to and unload their burdens because we, you can't really do that with your national friends because they're you're there to minister to them and you can't maybe share with them some of the ways that you're struggling to adapt to the culture or um, ask questions that you might have about counseling situations or whatever. So it's really great for the ladies to have a link. Also for the children, if you get to know kids who end up going to the mission field, you know, some, some of our, our daughter's friends, it was really sweet when we first got to China, they did a, a Skype birthday party for her, so they they had games that she could play from China, and they could play together, you know, some Pictionary type games, and they they worked behind the scenes with me to make her the same kind of cake that they had, and so they were eating their cake together, and, um, things like that, so um, yeah, kids need that support and encouragement too from, from friends, and yeah, be praying for kids of missionaries, for Vivi. Be praying for her because parents are there and they they know why they're there. They chose to go there. The kids, they kind of come along because that's what mom and dad are doing. And it can be very difficult for kids, and especially jumping into school. We've had, I just spoke with a family recently. They moved to Germany in the spring. And they were saying just the, you know, the days they've been in tears just trying to work with the teacher because the class is in German and their kid doesn't speak German and then trying to pick up as much as they can and work with that and pray for the kids. It can be really tough. And, and obviously pray for the kids' salvation. Just because your parents are missionaries doesn't mean that they're going to follow after Christ. And we've had missionaries whose kids walk away from the faith. And um, it's heartbreaking. And so be praying for the salvation of the kids as well. This is naive on my end. I thought we're gonna, I'm going to run with Ricardo and check in on a regular basis and, and get them to Columbia, you know, just, and, and then they're good to go. And just yeah. the realization in interacting and spending time with them that, in fact, the need for fellowship, the need for prayer, the mm-hmm. need for that connection and support at least right now has gone up, yes. you know, and, and that need, uh, and it's been a blessing for me, honestly, you know, to, to stop now, you know, 
on a weekly basis or every other week, basically to, to, to stop and be in prayer and to hear what's going on. And you realize, wow, the, the, the need for what we have in Christ, mm-hmm. for that fellowship, for that time to gather together, for, yeah. for being in Christ, the unity that, that's needed. The, the missionaries really need that, especially yeah. when they're out there right, in a big way. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time yeah. um, to do this with us. We're looking forward to this weekend um, as, a, as, a, as a teaser. Um, you're going to have to ask them why they like college basketball and poo-poo on professional basketball. We, <laughs> we didn't go to colleges like UCLA, so, so I think yeah. that's why it's Lakers and Golden State Warriors up here <laughs> yeah. in this country. But anyways, um, we've got a lot to look forward to. I'm going to hand it over to Ryan in just a second, but why don't we uh, close this time in prayer. And um, let me just encourage you, okay, as we go through this weekend to... Think about what we heard and think about the Great Commission. I know at Lighthouse our focus has been on church planting locally, and that is one of the ways in which we have the joy of participating in the Great Commission. But to consider how the Lord wants you to pray for missionaries and maybe how the Lord in your own heart is calling you, even in a small way, even here on this side with friends, family members, colleagues, just to be bold and loving people by sharing with them the good news, which is a a precious gift. That's why we're here. Um, And to consider this weekend, you know, how the Lord um, wants to show you good things. Because at the end of the day, that's what our Father in Heaven does. He's not there berating you. His desire for you, even when obstacles do come, is to really repair your hearts to share goodness and grace and the love of Christ with others who so desperately need it, whether it's here or abroad. So let's be meditating on those things. And uh, if you would join me with a word of prayer at this time, we'll, we'll also pray for our missionaries abroad. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this time. We want to thank you for the testimony uh, of how you build your church. Uh, the gates of hell will not prevail. And regardless of how hostile the government, how many obstacles are set in the way, how hard the hearts are, uh, Lord Jesus, it's you. You're the one who builds your church. You do so one life at a time, and you do so with one sinner at a time, saving them and bringing them into the family of God. And that's what you've done for us. And the truth is, at the end of the day, wherever there are lost sheep around the world, that is what you're doing, and that is our hope And you've called us, Lord Jesus, to be part of the Great Commission. You've commanded us. It is non-optional. And we want to thank you that you've given us that opportunity, even this weekend, to have our hearts stirred, to understand and appreciate a little bit of what it's like, to see, Lord Jesus, our great need for your word in our life, Lord. And we're going to receive that this weekend. But we also think of all the missionaries who we've just spoken about, whether it's this missionary who's waiting to go to Armenia, whether it's uh, Ricardo, Vanna, and Vivi, and the wives and overseas who are struggling with being isolated, with husbands with busy schedules. Lord, all of these, the church that remains in China, and, and many of them have broken up and gone into smaller churches in order to continue during this time and season. Lord, we thank you uh, for what you're doing, that you're doing a mighty work. We pray for them, and we just ask as a church that you would make us mindful and teach us and grow us in the ways in which we humbly 
uh, can love these saints, that we can support missions, but even more so how we can be a part of missions in our homes, in our lives. So thank you for these things, and thank you for this time that we have. In your name we pray. Amen.